It sounds like early fire breathing. <sighs> Michelle, hello. Hello. Welcome to you. What am I saying welcome for? I don't even know. Welcome to welcome you. Welcome to you. Welcome you, welcome me, welcome thee to another episode of our ever-popular podcast, Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, no G. I've been reading. Obviously, like when we do all this oh, research, I know, researchy stuff, all these weird little, you know, things pop up. And I've also been listening to podcasts and whatnot. And oh, oh. there are other podcasts. Well, not that you want to listen to because I've been getting a bit annoyed <laughs> by some of them because I feel like... There are all these trendy phrases that people are latching onto that have just become a thing. And these things have always been around, but they've just got these weird names. And I'm talking about shit like quiet quitting. Have you been seeing this what? all over the internet? Everyone's talking about quiet quitting. And it's also... No. It's the same as being cancelled. This idea of unconscious right. coupling uncoupling I was gonna say mm. that yeah and for me it just feels like same shit new name because the way I right. see it because do you know what quiet quitting is slowly unattaching yourself to someone who you once thought was great but now is shit <laughs> because they've said something on PC perhaps well, that's kind of that's just a that's guess kind of being cancelled in a way but yeah I mean it's all look for me, I feel like quiet quitting is just the new name for not giving a shit. Or ghosting. Ghosting. That, again, if that's a new name for something which was basically you just yeah. ignore someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they've been talking a lot, like, on the internets about quiet quitting a job. Huh? Yeah. And, you know, for me, I mean, I've been in jobs where it was basically called not giving a fuck. Like you just clock in and clock out. You do your eight hours. You don't yeah. give a shit. But this is what quiet quitting is. You know, you can quite quit a relationship. So you're turning up and you're getting paid, but you're not actually doing what's expected of you. So eventually you're going to get given the boot when they realize that you've just been coasting. Well, coasting. Yeah, that's a great name. That's a great word for it. Thanks. They talk about it in relationships, which... Quietly quitting a relationship. Yeah, which is just kind of like... You just do your own shit in a relationship because basically you've given up. It's giving up. What, like have sex with other people? That kind of thing. I don't know that that's quiet. Is that quiet? <laughs> or it's like with a friendship where you just think, I'm not ringing that bitch anymore. You just kind of quit the friendship, but right. you don't tell them, right? Oh. Yes. No, really. That's terrible. Because with friends, I mean, with a relationship, you see them every day. But with a friend, you don't necessarily see them all the time. And maybe weeks will go, like I've got friends in other countries that I don't stay in touch with as frequently as I would like, but I still want to be their friend and I still think of them. But then because of the time difference, sometimes it's not easy to let them know when you're thinking of them. I do try and ping a text to people when I'm thinking of them if I don't get a chance to speak to them all the time. Mm. I'm wondering if I'm being quietly quit. Oh, well, I was going to say you're not quietly quitting them. Maybe they're quietly quitting no. you. If Maybe I've been quit quietly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess I've quietly quit 
some friendships in my life. Initially, mm. it starts off as I just think I'm putting them on hold because I just can't be fucked because they've pissed me off or whatever it is. Right. But <laughs> you don't want to piss her off. No, you don't. In the end, I've just kind of thought I've given up on this friendship, but I've never actually told you this. It's like a, it's like a French exit at a party. Yes. Well, I was going to also say mm. that that's like the uh, the time where you decide, you know what, I've had enough of this. And if I tell everyone goodbye, it's going to be a big debacle. I've got to say goodbye to 50 people. Mm. Some people might try and stop me or, you know, you're just about to puke and you need to leg it <laughs> or your cab's outside. <laughs> the French exit. The French exit. I love a French exit. It's It's perfection for me. It's better than a French entry. What the fuck's that? I don't know. I was, <laughs> it just made me think of it. I don't know. Because I thought, what have I missed out on? Look, I guarantee you, you're going to see lots of shit about people who just quietly quit. And it just, I don't know, it just got my goat, Geordie, because... So you've just noticed this on the internet. All this thing about quiet quitting, quiet quitting this, quiet quitting that, I'm quiet oh. quitting my job, I... Oh, I've quite quit my relationship. Oh, I'm quite quitting my friendship, whatever. And it's like, quite really? It used to just be called not giving a fuck or I'm not going to ring right. that fucking bitch anymore. I'm just checking out or I'm just not going to give a shit. So this is what annoyed you this week on podcasts. Just in life. <laughs> in life. In life and in podcasts. I'm just wondering how, how annoying we are to people. Yeah, we though. could be. Because, you know, we do get some comments on YouTube, don't we? About how awful yes, they are. Yes, we do. <laughs> Fuck the haters. I don't care. Fuck the haters. I mean, we have some lovers as yes, well we who do. sometimes don't know what we're talking about. One of our fans recently got in touch to say that sometimes they don't understand the Australian colloquialisms. Brown lemonade. It's a beer. <laughs> okay. So in future... <laughs> So in future, when we refer to Australian things, I think we just have to give a little explanation just to keep them in the joke, okay. in the in, in joke. In the loop. Okay. No, fair enough. Because also, do you know what? A lot of the Australian colloquialisms that we use, because we haven't lived there for decades, I'm not trying to give away our age or anything, but we may be a little out of the loop with the current lingo. Do you think people don't call them scungies anymore? <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't know what a scungie is... Please explain. Gym pants. Gym pants. Gym pants. So little those little black shorts that you put on over your underwear to stop boys from seeing your underwear. But they're not huh? even shorts. It's they're weird. Like underpants. Pants. But, but they're made out yeah. of knickers. Big black Leotard knickers. Leotard material. And you put yeah. them over your undies so boys don't see your undies. It was just a nice secure, extra bit of security, wasn't it? What did you think <laughs> was going to fall out of your scrunchies? Nothing. But, you know, they were quite handsy at my school, oh, that's for sure. Yeah, the kids and the PE Teacher teachers. Pet territory here. Oh, yeah. my God. All right, well, look, point taken, we will indeed have to explain our Australianisms. But do you know what? Speaking of people who give us shit comments on YouTube, they love to fucking slam us on YouTube. I will say we've had some good comments. Really? So we had a comment from... The trilingual learner. Oh, they sound intelligent. They're tritelligent. Is that a, is that a word? <laughs> tritelligent. Yes, it is now. He made a comment on our episode on catfish murders and the eunuch makers. They. Is it a man or is it a woman? Oh, you cannot assume. Come on. No, because you just said he. You need oh to say God. they, Michelle. Oh, sorry. Keep up. 
with the millenniums. It could be. Of course. It could be. Sorry. My bad. I'm not woke. Just saying. <laughs> famously not woke. I'm famously not woke. <laughs> Fuck it. But anyway, the trilingual learner says the Nullo movement is spreading in the gay community in the USA as well. Ish. Ish. Really. I mean, that's not a movement anyone needs to be a part of. Not really. Have we, do we need to remind listeners who may not have heard that episode, which was, which episode was it? Catfish catfishing. Murders and the Eunuch Makers. The Eunuch Makers, yeah. Well, that, that kind of gives the whole game away. Eunuch Makers. Nullo is a movement where you remove all of your sexual bits, like for men usually. No nipples, no penis, no balls. All off. They want to look like a Ken doll. That's exactly it. It's a look. And so now it's apparently spreading in the gay communities. In America, honestly, I I don't know what to say. No words. I can't. I can't imagine it spreading. <laughs> really? Is it like suddenly everyone's getting Brazilians? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that, is it? It's a bit more extreme. <laughs> just I'm just off to get a, a back wax and my nips off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it a thing? Is it going to be like quite, I'm just quite quitting my balls. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? Thank you, trilingual learner. Thank I'm, you for not being cruel. I appreciate that kind of comment rather than you silly cows just prattle on about nothing. So yeah. thank you very much, trilingual learner. Now we have another comment and yeah. it is on the Moonies episode. Woo, that's nice and recent. Great. I'd love to know what people think of the Moonies because I was shocked when I did all my research about how their little fingers have gotten into so many pies without us noticing. Exactly. Now, this comment comes from, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. No, never assume. Never assume because assuming makes an ass out of you and me. You know that's the saying, right? Anyway. Okay. This person uses some trendy language. The name... Of the user is Dung Myung Moon. Oh, oh, shit. Okay, fuck. Are we in trouble? No, not at all. Because Dung Myung Moon says, Unificationism sounds great until you hear what Moon has to say about it. This cult and all its money-making front groups needs to be cancelled. Trendy language. Yes. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting because that person sounds like they're related to... Sun Myung Moon, who was the leader of the Unification Church. And that's why they're called the Moonies. And look, the last comment, and this actually warmed my heart right mm. up because... Because it's a cold little black heart, so that takes some doing. Really, it's a cold little black heart with barely a heartbeat. Anyway, this was a comment left by Demi. Now, there is a picture of a gorgeous girl's face. So, I'm assuming Uh Demi is a girl. And it's on the Mysterious Mysteries podcast episode where we talked about children who go missing in the American wilderness and the Warren Jeffs cult. Ooh, that was horrible. Yeah. She says, where's the link? I'd like to vote for your podcast. Aww. Bit late Down now, in Demi. the show notes, there was a link for when we were up for re- uh, voters' choice, readers' choice, readers' wives. Yes. We're always up for being readers' wives. <laughs> always. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, look it up. Duck, duck, go that. Thank you so much, Demi. It It is a bit late because those awards are long gone. But I am very appreciative of the fact that you would have voted for us 
We both are. So let's grab Demi and turn her into a proper eavesdropper. And you've got a shout out right now. You've got your shout out, Demi. And give her give her our email address. And for those of you who don't have it, it's eavesdropping something. <laughs> Hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com. Thank you. How long have you Thank had you. that email address? <laughs> oh, you dingling. Oh, you dingling. One of our best listeners and contributors, Linda who was featured, her story was featured in the other C Word episode way back in season one. Happy birthday, Linda. Oh, happy birthday. As if you've listened to that episode, you'll know that every birthday for Linda is a gift and very special. So I want to celebrate that. I spoke to her for her birthday and she said that she was very lucky because there was a national holiday that day, which was Thursday of this week. We had it on Monday, the actual day of the Queen's funeral. Australia decided to have it when it suited them. Let's just have the day off on Thursday. Everyone else has forgotten, not forgotten, but moved on from the Queen's death. And now we're finished. We're out of mourning. It's over. But the Aussies think, oh, hang on, we didn't get a holiday. Let's have one. Fuck that. Yeah, let's do it on Thursday. Fuck them. I mean, because obviously people got the day off so they could either go to Buckingham Palace if you're in the UK or watch it on the telly. Or be solemn throughout. But I guess they would have been asleep during all that, wouldn't they? Jen did watch some of it. She did watch some of it and I think she she shed a tear for the old Queenie. Well, I have to say it was quite moving and I did watch it and I insisted my children watch it and I insisted my husband turn off his power tools as well because it was disrespectful. And you know I'm not a monarchist or a royalist at all. And I apologise to anyone who thought it was offensive that I sat down and turned my back on the Queen. But it was a very important message, I feel, that we were trying to make in that moment. And it's not because I disrespect the Queen. It was just a very important message that the Indigenous people of Australia needed to make and I was supporting them in that moment. Well, can I just remind people, Linda, not only was she part of the other C Word episode that we did, she was also the one that just... Drove right up to Buckingham Palace and said, hi, I'm here. I'm here to see the Queen. (laughs) And nearly got through, so credit to you. (laughs) It was Kensington Palace. Oh, shit, I thought it was Buckingham. That would have been better. (laughs) No, she'd have been arrested. (laughs) Good on you, Linda. I was talking about the Queen's funeral. And the bit that I loved the most was the single piper at the end. And then he walked away and it was so poignant and beautiful. I was in floods at that point. But then for everyone piling out of the church, they had the spookiest, weirdest organ music. It was like some old decrepit person falling all over their (laughs) organ. (laughs) It was like a hammer horror. It was the worst thing I've ever heard. And it came so soon after that glorious bagpipe music. It ruined it. And I just thought, now it's just gone weird. Oh, God. They had no time for the auditions. I just went, love you'll do. Come on. Come on in. (laughs) Play that organ. (laughs) Last night, Michelle, I watched... I watched a TV show with my children and I just need to quickly tell you about this for a future episode because we've gone back to watch The Osbournes Want to Believe. Okay, you know, I've never watched a single episode. It's a bit silly. You've got Ozzy Osbourne who's half asleep and can't really be bothered to be there. You've got Sharon doing her best to get involved and Jack Osbourne who is the paranormal expert. In fact, it became apparent throughout the episode that he knows Jeremy Corbell because he was talking quite intelligently and with a lot of knowledge about Bob Lazar. 
and he knew some stuff that we haven't even covered on our episodes on Bob Lazar and aliens and reverse alien technology. It was really interesting what he was saying, actually. One of the things that was shown on the episode, see, everything was kind of like, ah, that's just a reflection of lights or, ah, that's just a person playing a trick. They were poo-pooers. They were either poo-pooing, like lots of different shots of like the one woman was pulled in, like on one of those ghost watch TV programs. It looked like she had been dragged into a room. The door was shut. The guy couldn't get back in and she was screaming behind the door. And then they walk in and she's like, oh, I was just dragged along the floor. It looked like it was set up. Plus, I agree with what Sharon Osborne said. She's like, that guy did not seem shocked right. enough. And she just got up and dusted herself down when they finally got into the room. She's like, oh, I was just dragged across the floor. Yeah. I think it was like she just went, oh, like that and threw herself in and then shut the door and made a lot of screaming bad acting. noises. Just bad mm-hmm. acting. I think. Might be wrong. Might be wrong. But the one thing that... My children had to sleep in the same bed last night and I was rather nervous when I went to bed because there's one thing that he did show, Jack Osborne. On somebody's security camera in Fresno, they caught this activity on their front lawn, which was so bizarre. And then years later, the same activity was caught in the wild somewhere in Yosemite, which isn't far away from Fresno, apparently. This footage had been checked out by uh, NASA to make sure that it hadn't been doctored, but they found something, a phenomena that is known as night crawlers, and it is so goddamn creepy. I wasn't sure I'd be able to sleep last night. I just got a chill because it doesn't sound like, oh, it's just a cute little happy yeti. This sounds no, not this nice. was what looked like legs with a head on top. One of them was in the Fresno footage of the front garden, walking across. Like it was grainy because it was night cam. It looked like it was the tree walking. There was a tree and then next to the tree, it looked like the tree just started to walk. But actually it's like two legs. I'm holding my fingers up like in an upside down V and a head on top, white legs. Then there was two of them walking through the woods in Yosemite. And it was just so shocking. We need to look at this. Okay, put a pin in that. Say what? Last week, we talked about my appearance on Adam Buxton's live podcast, Adam Buxton's show. You can find it anywhere where you can find a good podcast, like here. (gasps) And I mentioned that Louis Theroux talked about spontaneous human combustion. And Adam and most of the audience, apart from me, disagreed with him and said it was all faked. So they poo-pooed. They all poo-pooed it. And I said, let's put a pin in that. So this week I looked into it and I searched using Britannica, The Independent, and all that's interesting as three of my sources. So I think the reason why most people do poo-poo the idea of spontaneous human combustion is probably because the body is 60% water. So how could it be possible, huh? Um, If you're made of mostly of water. You'd be putting yourself out as fast as you'd be igniting, surely. Well, I'd never thought of it like that. Well, it's not the atoms shaking about and causing a little fire inside. No. All right. All right. I'm, I'm ready to hear what you got to say because okay. I, I don't know anything about this. Well, when you look into it, you find that the victims of potential suspected SHC, we're going to call it from now on, spontaneous human combustion, are usually elderly or drunk, alone, quite often women, 
or asleep near a, a heat source, including candles or fire. They're often smoking a cigarette or drinking some hooch. <laughs> but I will tell you about the very first recorded case of spontaneous human combustion, which took place in Milan in the late 1400s. Michelle, that's a very long time ago. How that was recorded, it I don't is. know. Well, it's been written down in a book and then... And then carried on, passed, passed along. along. Didn't set on fire. So there was a knight called Polinus Vorstius who allegedly burst into flames in front of his own parents. Now, yes, he was having a drink. Alcohol was at play here. Vorstius was said to have belched fire after consuming a few glasses of a particularly strong vino. Do you know what? It sounds like early fire breathing. <sighs> But that's not necessarily spontaneous human combustion, is no, it? No, it's not. But also, how reliable are these people's recording yeah. of what happened? And has it been well, embellished? I'm just putting it out there. It could have been. But I will tell you that S- spontaneous SHC, as we're calling it, I forgot the letters for a moment there, sure. has been used a lot in literature. For example, in the serialised book Bleak House by Charles Dickens, he wrote in an alcoholic hoarder called Mr. Crook who wound up as a pile of ashes on the floor, leaving a dark, greasy coating on the walls and ceiling. After his readers accused him of writing an, a really improbable death, Dickens went on to cite several famous cases and statements of eminent medics of the time to prove that SHC was actually possible. And it wasn't just him that wrote those characters in. Mark Twain and Herman Melville also jumped on the bandwagon and started to write spontaneous human combustion into their stories as well. So medically, SHC was first investigated in the 18th century, which is way after the night was burping up a fireball. Yeah. There's a guy called Paul Raleigh of London's Royal Society, which is the world's oldest scientific academy. And he coined the term in 1744 in his article entitled Philosophical Transactions. Sounds like a rollicking good read to me, Michelle. What do you think? Why would you go for Playboy when you can have that? <laughs> Philosophical Transactions. Life reading. So in it... Rolly described it as a process in which a human body allegedly catches fire as a result of heat generated by internal chemical activity, but without evidence of an external source of ignition. Hmm. This is not Rolly's words, but this is what other people have summarised. This would happen because the fire would generally contain itself to the person and their immediate surroundings. Plus, burns and smoke damage above and below the victim's body and nowhere else. So that's when you'd say... This is a case of SHC. Okay. The torso would normally be a pile of ash with just the extremities hanging off. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's quite scary because, you know, let's look at the first part of this. Spontaneous. You don't know it's coming. You don't know it's coming. Mm. So imagine you're just going about your business yeah. and all of a sudden, boom, you're just ashes. Boof. Well, I think it happens a bit faster than that, but maybe not fast enough for people to be able to put you out. And maybe it happens to all these people who are alone because no one is there to put them out. I don't know. Hmm. But it is fair to say that it's an old fashioned affliction, as somebody said to me, a bit like UFO spotting, to which I said, oh, no, 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 my friend. Somebody actually said, yeah, it's like in the old days spontaneous human combustion and ufo spotting used to be a thing i'm like no that still happens we are still spotting ufos really and there has been a lot of activity in the skies but 
put a pin in that for another time. But let me tell you about one of the most recent spontaneous human combustions episodes. That's a mouthful. December 22, 2010. Oh. 2010. Yes, it's 12 years ago, but it's much sooner than, than the other cases. <laughs> exactly. 76-year-old Michael Faherty, and I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Is it Faherty <laughs> or Faherty, was found dead in his home in Galway, Ireland. His body had been badly burned. Oh. Faherty was... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, Faherty was found with severe burns lying on his back with his head near an open fireplace. Okay. Now, was the fire on? It doesn't say. Investigators found no accelerants near the body, no signs of foul play. They ruled out the near nearby fireplace as being responsible, so obviously mm. it wasn't on. Forensic experts had only Faherty's scorched body and the fire damage on the ceiling above and the floor below to explain what happened to the elderly man. Okay. So the coroner, who was doing the autopsy, he chose to explain Mr. Faherty's sudden death as spontaneous human combustion. That's a scientist in the 2010s had chosen to make that as his cause of death. Fucking love it. So despite the fact that scientists will say, no, it's not possible, one scientist wrote it down as the cause of someone's death. So it's possible. Open your mind, people. It's possible. Yeah. And it's not just an ye oldy worldy thing. Exactly. It happens these days. Could happen to you right now. <laughs> so let me talk about fires for a moment. Many fires are self-limiting and usually peter out once they've run out of fuel. And there's something that people talk about when they talk about spontaneous human combustion. It's called the wick effect, which is where, like a candle, the fat in a human body acts as fuel for the flame, oh. thus keeping the burning localized to just the body and the immediate surroundings, which gives the appearance of a body exploding from the inside, which might not necessarily be the case, leaving nothing but a pile of mm. ash. So despite this, SHC has been recorded in at least 200 cases. Wow. And more recently than 2010 as well. Really? Okay. 2015. A woman. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't laugh because this is awful. There was a woman in Germany fighting for her life with severe burns after she reportedly burst into flames in an apparent case of spontaneous human combustion. Witnesses oh, described God. seeing this woman sitting silently on a park bench as her body was engulfed with fire. So this woman was believed to be in her 40s and she was originally from Mauritius. She was rushed to hospital after a passerby stopped the fire by beating away the flames with his jacket. And later, prosecutors said they were investigating whether it was a suicide attempt. I guess no one really saw what happened in the immediate moments beforehand. And I don't have any follow up on that story. I'm sorry. That's that. But spontaneous human combustion, is it from the outside in or the inside out? Well, that's what they can't tell. Yeah. But now we're going to be in Edmonton in North London in 2006. Jeannie Saffin was 61. She had an episode while sitting with her family. Her brother-in-law said a flame shot from Miss Saffin's stomach as she sat at her <gasps> kitchen table. And he said she was roaring like a dragon. The kitchen wasn't damaged, but her cardigan melted and the inquest never oh sorted it out. God. But... Famous words, I know what I, I saw. saw. Yes, I know what I saw. She had a flame flying out of a belly button. My God. Yeah. My God. So what do you think that is? Is it some noxious stomach gas? 
seeping oh. out. I mean, God knows. Maybe we're eating things or with the, uh, I don't know, because it's been going on for years and years. It's not like a new thing. It's not an old thing. It's a no, thing. It's, a cent- it's centuries before, you know, e-numbers, people were still doing this. So yeah, it, I'm not sure it. you can blame it on dodgy additives. That's what I was going to blame it on, but no, mm. <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> But I'll tell you something else that I find even more frightening than bursting suddenly into flames, Michelle, and that is the thought of being struck by lightning. And I'll never forget the story of two young women in Hyde Park in 1999. Do you remember this? No. Maybe if you jog my memory, but... Well, I'll jog it now. Here it comes. Let's jog on. (laughs) They died when they were struck by lightning as they hid under a tree during a sudden violent thunderstorm. Now, these thunderstorms were quite famous of that time. They had... Uh, knocked trees down and all sorts of things. It was a big old thunderstorm. And these two women hid under a tree in Hyde Park. They were found the next day by one of the Queen's Cavalry officers who was exercising his horse. By the time he'd found them, obviously they were long dead. They'd been left dead overnight. Their names were Suni Whitworth, age 39, and her friend Anuban Bell, who was 24. And they were left lying there for more than 15 hours because mm. passers-by thought they were homeless or drug addicts and were too frightened to approach them. But, I mean, oh to be honest, God. they couldn't have helped because they were already dead. They were found close together, fully yeah. clothed, and one of them was lying on their back and had most of her hair burnt away. Neither of the women is thought to have had any visible injuries apart from burn marks. And initial tests are said to have indicated that they were holding hands when the lightning struck. Oh, God. So they were so scared. They were scared. Absolutely. They were hiding, holding hands. It must have been an awful storm. At first, the police thought they'd been murdered. But this next information is what really changed my life, Michelle. The inquest heard how the wire in Miss Whitworth's bra acted as a conductor for the electrical charge. The lightning ripped open her shirt and came out through her feet. Oh, my God. Don't wear underwire bras. Don't wear the wired bras. In a storm. Ever. I mean, just don't because I think they also block off your limp glands and they're just not good for you. Don't wear an underwire bra, ladies or gents. Be like me. Just Free tit it. Free titting. <laughs> free titting. That's what I do. Michelle practices free titting. I d- I'm not even wearing one now. They're just well, you wouldn't free. know you've got layers of clothes on. <laughs> free flying titties. You, would, you wouldn't know because you basically got no tits. Do you know what though? <laughs> They're bigger than they've ever been. I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> so let me finish off this. The pathologist told the inquest that the metal had melted and that the women were enveloped in a massive amount of energy. So I'd say that that death was fairly rapid, Mm. just in case you're worrying about these poor women, because I was. Dr. West also said both had burn marks on their body, bodies which were typical of electrical storm damage and a brick on the ground between the two bodies had been fragmented into dust by the force of the lightning. Fucking hell. That that lightning needed something and it found it found it the metal. found something it yeah. would have just found that tree probably yeah dr paul natman who is a westminster coroner the westminster coroner who recorded a verdict of death by misadventure said this is the second time the second time in his experience of fifty thousand deaths where lightning had struck the metal of a bra that's oh two times God. too much in my opinion don't fucking wow. wear those metal bras the chances of being struck by lightning are about one in three million michelle so don't panic 
but there are no statistics for a double strike. So this is really unusual. It struck two people at once. Yeah. Maybe because they acted as one person through holding hands. Or maybe, you know, when lightning can fork, maybe it was just like a tiny little fork at the end. So got them both. Possibly. But I think that the electrical charge was just so huge. Yeah. It turned a brick into dust. What was the brick doing there anyway? Fuck weird, but-, but no, they were holding hands. So it just went through yeah. one body into the other body. It acted as one body, yeah. Mm-hmm. In an average year in Britain, 24 people are struck by lightning and five are killed. That's in an average year. Oof. Well, I told you there was a woman here on the mountain. All the mountain guides had come in because they knew there was a storm coming. But there was an inexperienced guide who took a woman up the mountain here and the storm came in they were trapped on the side of the of the Matterhorn and lightning came and it struck her she had all her climbing gear on you know oh man yeah uh, you know because when you're when you're climbing you're well you're hooked on with carabiners and you know all these sorts of things metal things Mm, yeah I mean potentially they could have survived the storm but it was the lightning so they both died no just her the Um. the guide survived so yeah i mean it happens more often than you think lightning can kill lightning can kill lightning can kill worldwide about a thousand people are killed by lightning each year michelle jesus a small thunderstorm carries the power of about 10 hiroshima bombs and one lightning bolt can carry up to a million volts of electricity traveling at the speed of light so i will just give you some safety tips in case you're shitting yourself right now. <laughs> we are going into winter if you're on our side of the world. <laughs> exactly. Don't wear underwire bras, number one. Stay away from metal objects, either indoors or outdoors, such as golf clubs and bicycles. My nana used to make us sit on the floor in the middle of the room. Yep. She'd shut the curtains. She'd unplug the phone and television. It was quite intense. Or under the kitchen table. Well, we didn't have to do that, thank God. But sometimes we'd defy her and run outside. She'd go... Put rubber shoes on, put your rubber flip-flops on. And sometimes we'd run out and go and swim in the ocean because the waves were always fantastic during a thunderstorm. You little brat. You little brat. You were giving her a heart attack. Seriously. She hated it. Swimming, so going on from that, swimming is also hazardous as lightning (laughs) can be conducted through water. And if you're caught... Yeah, whoopsie. And if you're caught outside in a severe storm, people are advised to crouch as low as possible, like you've said, under the kitchen table, but you're outside so you can't. Just go as low as you can, feet together, hands on knees. They should avoid sheltering near tall objects, such as trees. Lying down can be dangerous as well, though, because lightning striking the ground can send a huge surge of voltage across the wet surface. Horrifying. And if you are out in a storm, rip your bra off. Take that motherfucker off. But you're not wearing a metal bra because we've told them not to. So they're listening. Do you know what? They're not going to go into their drawers and throw away all their underwire bras because that shit's expensive. Honestly, I've got some here. They're fancy. They're fancy. They're expensive. So look. Save them for a dry day, Michelle. Save them for the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for those top safety tips or just free tissues. That's my advice. Free titten. As you mentioned at the top of this episode, you you mentioned Adam Buxton. And because, you know, we had spoken about him and I thought, well, I haven't really heard any of Adam Buxton's podcasts. Oh, did you go listen? I did. 
And oh, I'm glad. I know that we. I said I was going to talk about molecules. I'm not talking about molecules because I got inspired by the one episode of Adam Buxton that I listened to, and he was talking to a guy called Anil Seth. Oh, that's a recent one. Really, it's the most recent one. Yeah. And I thought it really actually moved me. So oh. I wanted to talk about an element of what Adam had been speaking about, which is consciousness. And this really has, um, it actually freaked me out because I've, I've been thinking a lot about what it is. And then this morning I got a really sad text from an ex-boyfriend saying his mum had passed away yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, peacefully in her sleep, which honestly, fucking perfection. Like if you're going to go, it really is the way to go. Sure. But it just, it felt like, oh my God, you know, I'd been thinking so much about consciousness and I want to look at brains and consciousness and talk about it because I actually don't know much about it. And I don't know really like how it all works. And when I was doing my reading, I came across this article and it's from a leading neuroscientist who said that science can't even understand the workings of the brain of a worm, Mm. let alone the brain of a human. (laughs) Yeah. And this got me thinking, like, how does the brain work and how does that relate to consciousness? Because for any eavesdroppers who caught the episode where we discussed, well, I discussed the recent brain death of a guy here in the village you'll know that I found it really hard to get my head around the idea of the body being alive but the brain being dead and how that relates to consciousness and maybe even the idea of a soul so that's where I'm coming from today and honestly and and I'm not sure I have any answers because if fancy scientists who've spent their whole life working on understanding the brain of a worm and they haven't even figured that out yet I'm not going to be able to progress that conversation. Well, you could give it a go, Michelle. I'm going to give it a red hot go. (laughs) But to talk about this worm idea, apparently a round worm's brain has 302 neurons and 7,000 connections between those neurons. Is that all? That's, I mean, fucking worm. That's all. Fucking worm. Fucking worm. (laughs) And according to a guy called Dr. Christoph Koch, it's K-O-C-H. We had farty. Yeah. And cock today. <laughs> and we poo-pooed oh, everything. But anyway. We are so mature. So Dr. Christoph Koch. Koch. I'll call him Koch. I like that Koch at the end, Michelle. It's very European. I know, but also it's because my braces right now are so juicy. I've got bloody elastics in. Anyway. Stop. I know, it's disgusting. But anyway, Dr. Christoph Koch, he is the chief scientist and president of the Allen Institute for Brain Science. And they say they still don't fully understand how all the neurons work synergistically for that little worm to behave the way a worm does. So if this worm has 302 neurons and 7,000 connections, and it's still baffling scientists, humans have around 86 billion neurons in our brains and more than 100 trillion connections, also known as synapses. So it is almost impossible to fully understand not only how all those cells work, but how it all comes together to create our five senses, our behavior and our consciousness. So here's what we do know about the brain. 
It's made up of grey matter and white matter and brain tissue and bundles of axons. And if you like me, I don't know what the fucking axon is. So no, I, I don't. No, so I duck, duck, goat it. And axons are basically cables because each neuron in your brain has one super thin, long cable that carries electrical impulses away from the neuron to then be received by other neurons. You're looking at me like, what? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but the brain is also made up of brain cells. But as uh, Christoph Koch says himself, and these are his words, how can we understand the entire thing if we don't understand how many different components there are? So basically that grey matter and the white matter is essentially the great unknown. And that's what's really fascinating to me because what the fuck is going on in there? I mean, not much in mine, but I read on, and look, even though this is a very basic level, scientists know that the brain functions and communicates through these axons and synapses using connections between two neurons, but they're relying not on how it actually works, but signaling molecules known as neurotransmitters called GABA or glutamate. But the thing is that drugs like opioids and antidepressants, they don't use GABA or glutamate as their signaling molecules. So how do they signal? Well, the thing is, there's a guy called Jack Waters, who's a neuroscientist at the Allen Institute for Brain Science. And he says, they don't know. They actually don't understand the mechanisms of the underlying molecules those drugs are interacting with. So how how could they be developed by scientists? Well, they know what the drugs do, but they don't know why. Oh, I see. And it's okay. fucking scary because yeah. when I was listening to that Adam Buxton podcast, Anil Seth who is a, a British professor of cognitive and computational neuroscience at the University of really Sussex. Yeah, he is actually. They were talking about when you take acid or any psychoactive drugs. Yeah. And basically because they don't know the why, they just know that it works, you mm. can potentially tip the brain over and alter the chemistry of your brain forever it's not just a fucking joke like when your mum used to say don't take drugs you'll ruin your brain go on a trip and you'll never never come come back back. (laughs) yeah it's fucking true honestly it can happen so it scares the shit out of me that there are all these drugs being produced by big pharma all over the world and they don't actually understand why it works they just know that it works for people. But getting back to the brain, essentially what goes on in all that gray and white matter and how it forms our consciousness, for me, is one of life's big question marks. Because no one knows how exactly we go from this gray matter to our own very personal inner universe of being conscious. And Honestly, it scrambles my brain. It's not a new thing people think about this because for centuries, philosophers have had, you know, theories about this. Like, is the mind separate from the physical matter of our brains? Yeah. Or are they one and the same thing or is it something else? So going back to Anil Seth, he seems to be 
one of the leading experts in the field of consciousness and what it actually is and what it is to have your own personal unique experience of the world and yourself within it. So what is consciousness? Do you have the answer to that, Michelle? Well, what do you think it is? Consciousness is just when you are, all your senses are working together. That's what I think it is. It's like the lights being switched on, you're conscious. The light switched off, you're unconscious. And then there's a third state as well, which is called something else. And I can't remember what it is because I also am studying consciousness at the moment, Michelle, because as you know, I'm training to be a counsellor. In psychology Mm -hmm. and psychotherapy, there's the three states. Freud in particular believes in the conscious, the pre-conscious and the unconscious hang on the subconscious conscious and the, and, and the unconscious unconscious I feel like yeah subconscious conscious and unconscious it's lights out lights out you're asleep you're not present you're comatose or you're not necessarily comatose because I don't know what kind of brain activity happens during that time but definitely well talking about birth trauma for example apparently there are some schools of thought that say you can retain memory traces of being born and that it's not particularly fun because obviously you're in a nice happy place or a nice time and then you end up being shot out and you have to take your first breath which in itself is traumatic so all of these things have an imprint and they affect your development but if you've passed out which you might do because I passed out giving birth for a very short period of time you don't know what's going on in that moment. So you're not conscious. That's all I can add. A baby's that. in utero conscious? Yes. You think yes. At some point I think they become conscious, yes. Because they're hearing. I don't know if they're seeing because their eyes aren't open, but they are hearing things and they're experiencing things and they're feeling things and they're moving. They're mm. consciously moving themselves. Okay. But the thing is about babies is that they don't have the speech or the vocabulary, the verbal skills to be able to describe those things. So anything that happens to you when you're before you've reached the age of three or four, when you start to learn to speak, Mm. you can't explain. You say you can't remember it, but you can't remember it like you can remember everything since three because that was been put into words and descriptive words. Anything before that is something else and it's in your consciousness somewhere. It's a feeling. It's a, it's a sense. It's a sensory thing. That's my belief. Okay. So I actually don't believe that anyone really knows because you know what? It's a big question that seems really simple until you drill down into it. And then I think yeah. it's really fucking complex. This guy, Anil Seth, says we can look at consciousness in two ways. Experiences of the world around us, which means, like you said, senses, sights, taste, smells, what we hear, what we touch, all those lovely multi-sensory experiences we have in the world. And then there are the experiences of the self, which is the specific experience of being you which is your thoughts, your feelings, your moods, your perceptions. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what you're thinking. I only know what Mm. I'm feeling and thinking. So it's a very personal of your self and it's subjective. And I think we're all very possessive of our own experiences because it's all we know. Yeah, It's all we know and it's different for everyone. Consciousness is all about experience and it doesn't require intelligence or thinking or language according to him 
because not to do it, but to be a good human. I think it does require all of those things to acknowledge that this experience that I'm feeling is mine alone and I can't put my feelings onto other people. I can't, if I'm experiencing this, I can't assume that that person is as well or that person knows how I'm feeling and that's why they're speaking to me in that way or treating me that way. You have to acknowledge and be understanding of the fact that everybody's experience of the, of life and the world is individual and very unique to them. Well, it's funny you should say that because there's a TED Talk that Anil Seth does and he basically says... Your brain hallucinates your conscious reality. Huh? Yeah. Your brain hallucinates your conscious reality. And that when people what? around you are all in agreement with the hallucination, that's what we call what? reality. That's like the matrix. Yeah. It's fucking, it blows my mind. But basically what he's oh, saying my head is. actually fucking hurts right now, Michelle. Yeah. He's saying consciousness is controlled hallucinations <gasps> and that our brain is... And it was all a dream. But do you know what? Maybe. Because he's saying that our brain is a prediction engine and it relates to our experiences of the world because the brain oh, is God. just joining dots between our perceptions and our beliefs about how the world is. And then our brain makes a best guess based on the signals our neurons and synapses give it but basically it's all a hallucination that I, i'm not sure if i agree with that michelle because you're having the same hallucination as i am well that's the then. thing that there is something because that's the second part of what he says we hallucinate a conscious reality why aren't we having nightmares every night then what do you mean because if it's something that we're creating for ourselves the reality is something different because we do soak up everything that happens to us in a day and then it comes out in our unconsciousness, our subconscious or whatever, when we're asleep. Mm -hmm. And that's dreams. They're interpreted then as dreams, those feelings and those those ideas. And I, I find that really hard to get my head around. Look, I don't think that it's... it's much. I don't think that it's an easy concept. And also, I don't necessarily think that he's right because... Who fucking knows? This stuff, it's all subjective. But one thing that he did talk about that really freaked me out is, and this is very much, I understand, but I also don't understand. When you have general anesthetic, and I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been under general anesthetic a few times in my life. Have you? Yeah. Okay. It's unlike anything else. You're on that fucking no. hospital gurney. You've got the little shower cap on, that little hospital shower cap thing on, paper undies, whatever. The anaesthetist <laughs> is right there sitting next to you with that needle and the drip bag yeah. of the anaesthetic or whatever it is. And they're talking to you all happy and calm and they're saying, right, we're just going to pop the needle in. We're going to count you back from 10. And you're there thinking, yeah, all right, 10, I'm going to be aware of all of this. And eight, then next thing you know. You wake up and everything's finished. Or you hear them talking over you as you come round. Yep. And you're like, what just happened? What? Yep. Hang on. that A second ago I was counting. Yep. It's the weirdest thing. Really. And you have no concept of time having passed. It's, yeah. It's like an oblivion. Really. Mm, you're absolutely right. And Anil talks about 
that gap between going under and waking up is the closest any of us will ever come to, to experiencing death. what death is. Yeah. Because yeah, when, I agree. And, he, and it's really interesting. He says when you go under, you go from being a person to an object. The hope is that the miracle of modern medicine will bring you back round and you'll wake yeah. up and become a person again. And this yeah. very thing is what has baffled scientists. How does consciousness happen? Because when you're under, you are not conscious. You have no experience. If we're talking about the five senses and our inner experience of the world and of our inner self, that consciousness is gone. So I think he's kind of right. In that moment, we're no longer human. We're an object. We are just a body. Yeah. We're ju- and, and, I get that. And this is what I think about comas as well. When we were talking about the brain is no longer functioning. But they say the comas are different. Because they say that you can talk to people. Now, I've never been in a coma. I no. don't know. I don't know anyone who has been in one. No. But they do say that you are aware mm-hmm. of people talking. They encourage you to talk to people in a coma. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I, I don't know about neural activity. I don't know what happens in a coma. I've never been in one. I've never come out of one. I don't have that experience. But I have been under general aesthetic and I've come out of it. And I have no fucking clue. I have no sense of time passing. Mm. It was really, as you had said earlier in the podcast, it's lights out, light on, light off. That light was off. And if you think about consciousness, for that time you're under, there's nothing. And this is where my brain trips me up because when you wake up, you know there's a world, there is a self, but that only exists when I'm conscious. When you're not conscious, nothing exists. Not the doctors operating on you, not yourself, not your world. It's basically for your own personal experience. It's death because you do not have a perception of your own existence. And for me, I feel without a perception of your own existence, you don't exist. That's my thought. And I don't know if that's right or not. It's right for you, I suppose. I feel that uh, these ideas and thoughts that we come to or these theories that we come up with, they're intuitive. Yes, I think so too. And on some level, they're so basic that we don't think about it. We don't think about our experience of our inner self and of our experience in the world because we're just fucking living it. And his idea of reality as a hallucination and our brain is just making a best guess of it. Well, that's something for me to ponder and it's not something that I can have any answers for. But honestly, the upshot of all of this is it's quite confusing for me and it touches on so many subjects that I don't know enough about you know it's biology it's neuroscience it's philosophy and I'm not any of those things I'm just a forgetful person that gets shit wrong you know (laughs) but no really but this lights on lights off thing like yeah I feel like it really is that because let's face it unless you've actually died no one has any idea and that idea of the anesthetic like I get it But it also, for me, it makes me feel that there's nothing to be... Oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to cry. I should feel really emotional talking about this. Wow. Because what I'm feeling is completely different to the words I'm about to say. Yeah. When it comes to dying, I feel like there's nothing to be afraid of because being under general anaesthetic, I've done it. And I understand it's just over. And do you know what? On a basic level, I think we all know it. We all know that... When you die, it really is just lights out. 
But if I put that into Mm. the context of a personal experience that I've had with general anesthetic, it comes into an experience of no experience. There's nothing to be scared of because when you go under that, that's it. But you just don't wake up at the end of it. I guess it's somewhat comforting. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know because also I believe ghosts. I believe there's a soul. I don't know how much I believe, but there's so much anecdotal evidence that is it just lights out? My mm. my experience of being on, on the gurney is lights out, but is that really all there is? We don't have the answers because we don't know. <laughs> True. But we can have conversations. We can ponder as long as we don't get tearful and upset. And mm. obviously that's okay too. Yeah. Michelle, are you okay? No, no, I'm fine. It just, that took me by surprise because... When I was thinking about this, I felt like, well, that's it. It's just the big black beyond. That's it. It's sort of dawned on you. It's not that it dawned on me because I think I've always known it. I've just never connected it to the idea of unconscious state that we are in when we are under general anesthetic. I think that idea of a personal experience and that freaky feeling of when you wake up, it yes. did freak me out. This idea of the hallucinations. That's trippy. It's trippy. And if that's really what our consciousness is, then what's it all for, Geordie? Talking about this, you know, taking acid and how it can trip your brain up. I have to say, you know, back in my free flow and uni days, under the influence of uh, an hallucinogenic, Oh, block your ears, Jen. Block your ears, Jen. I was a good girl at uni. (laughs) But really, I think I had one of the most profound experiences of my life because I had this idea of it was a light bulb moment and it was the meaning of life is there is no meaning. If Anil is right, then for me, maybe there is no meaning. If all we're meant to do is enjoy the perception of our existence – and have a bloody good time along the way, and then it's lights out, then maybe that's all there is. And I still have so many questions about the soul and ghosts and spirits and collective consciousness and Mm. all that stuff, but today I don't have any answers for anyone. If any of our eavesdroppers out there have uh, hallucinated the perception of enjoying this, fantastic. That's all I got for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, Michelle. Well, listen, there's not a lot that anyone can add to that because it is your thoughts and my personal experience of the world experience exactly my consciousness and I'll tell you what it's really fascinating to hear and to be in the moment with you while you're exploring these ideas maybe not a laugh a minute but that's okay (laughs) because you know we can't always laugh and all emotions are valid here at eavesdropping and do you know what else is valid what the idea that wherever you are wherever you are and whatever (laughs) you do do. you just have to keep eavesdropping eavesdropping